following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. One of the most incredible things about the Bible, one of the most incredible things to understand about the Bible is that it all fits together. It sounds kind of like a a duh statement, right? But it's one of the most incredible things to see how the Bible comes together, how it fits together, um, how all the parts make up the whole, the verses, the chapters, the books, the testaments come together to tell us, to reveal to us a grand and a wonderful story, one grand and wonderful story. Story. One of my, some of my favorite moments in studying scripture are those light bulb moments where you're reading and, and a light bulb comes on. You're like, whoa, I see how this fits. It's wonderful to see how it fits into the larger story when you're able to zoom out. And that zooming out is exactly what Paul is going to do for us in our text this morning. Um, having said all of that, it all fits together. Amen. Say Amen. So I want to ask you something. Having said that, what has Adam to do with Jesus? What on earth has Adam to do with Jesus? As we look at our text today, Paul is going to drive us back and focus us back on a grand story. A grand narrative. It's just Beautiful. We are going to be able to make together, church, this morning, a a really beautiful and profound connection. And Paul is going to drive us. This morning, I'm titling this, Jesus is the True and Better Adam. Uh, I was hoping to get further, but it's just not going to happen. So we're going to be in verses 21 through 28 this morning. And uh, here's my hope this morning. My hope is that our hearts are stirred for the gospel. This is going to be a very simple very straightforward presentation of the gospel. And I believe that's exactly what I need. I believe that's exactly what, what we need. And I hope that every one of us, as we leave this place, I hope for three things, and we're going to come back to them. Whether you're new to the faith, by the way, whether you've been walking in the faith for a long time, maybe you're here and you are seeking, you are asking questions that you haven't found answers to, no matter who you are, here's my hope, my prayer, that three things will happen before we leave this room. One, that our faith will be strengthened, that our hope will be secured, and that our affections will be stirred for Jesus. That's where we are heading, and that is a big task. That is a huge task. I have big hopes this morning, and, and here's what I know, that it is absolutely impossible for anything, any of those things to happen apart from the work of God. And I've been praying for this time together all week. But here before we dive in, I'd like to just invite us all to come before the Lord and to take a moment to ask him if he would do this. So would you pray with me as we turn our hearts to the scripture? God, we come before you this morning and we ask a big prayer. We come before you and really we're asking for a miracle this morning. In your word, you promise to give us a new heart, a new spirit. Your word says that you will put this in us. More than that, your word says that you will remove our heart of stone and give us new hearts. And that is the miracle that we are praying for this morning. Would you take our hearts of stone and would you transform them? 
I pray that you would work in a real and tangible way in us this morning in response to your word, in response to your gospel, and through your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in this text, and we have been dealing, Paul has been dealing specifically with the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, and then praise God, our resurrection in Jesus. Such a hope-filled text and a reminder to us of what we stand on. And we're going to continue to work through this as we finish this book in a couple weeks. Um, We've been in it for a while. We're about to finish this book. And we're going to continue to look at this. But as I said, Paul, before we get further, is going to zoom out. And so let's zoom out with him and let's look with me at verse 21. For as by a man, by the way, that man being Adam here in our context. For as by a man came death By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I want to invite you to do something with me. I want to invite you to mark your place here, and let's take a quick field trip with Paul. Let's take a quick field trip back to Genesis. So would you hold your place here, flip to the first book of your Bible in Genesis, right in the first couple pages, because here's what's going to happen. In the garden, in the beginning, we see the first two chapters of Genesis, and what we see here is that we see creation, God creating all things out of nothing, creating them good, creating man and woman, and placing them into this perfect garden. We see man and woman in absolute paradise. There's no sin, there's no death. There's no pain. Can you even imagine that? I would venture to say that we can't. This is the world that we see in Scripture in Genesis. This is Eden. And Adam and Eve lived in this perfect state in God's grand and wonderful world. And way back in Genesis 1, when God created man and woman, do you remember what he said? Let's look at it. Verse uh, 26 in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have what? Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and what? Subdue it and have, here's that word again, dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on earth. That's man's charge. This was Adam and Eve's task as image bearers of God. They were created and placed in this beautiful garden to have dominion over the earth, to rule over animals and and over the animals in the garden. They They were to represent God to God's creation. They were the image bearers of God himself. How incredible is that world? And then the unthinkable happens as Genesis 3 rolls around. As Genesis 3 rolls around, we, we read the story of how Adam and Eve chose then to disobey God. They questioned God's character. They were deceived. They thought they knew better. And from this moment on, sin and death, brokenness and pain entered into God's perfect world. 
This is the grand story. What was exceedingly good is now exceedingly broken. You've probably heard this story before, right? We probably know this story, but hear me because this is key. Think of what happened in Adam. Think about what happened in Adam. Adam, who was created to be the image bearer of God, to represent him to the world he created, to be in dominion over, for the glory of God to be in dominion over the earth, sinned and caused the whole earth under him, the earth which was in his dominion, to suffer. We read that the wages of sin is death, and now death spread through all in Adam. All who came after, all creation, all his offspring, including you and me. And if we fast forward, this is the world you and I know. There is no baby born who is not marked by this. There is no man or woman who will not encounter death. This is the world we know. One way to think about this is in the garden, in Genesis 1 and 2, it's like God gave humanity a standard operating system that was perfect. It was perfect, it was good, it was sinless, and then Adam then stepped outside of what God created and put in, stepped outside so that now the standard operating system is one of sin. And this is why we say a lot around here to all of you parents, there has never been a parent in the history of parenting human children where a parent has had to teach their child to be selfish. That has never happened. That has never happened. And why? It's because that comes pre-installed. That is now their standard operating system. If you have kids, you know. Amen. You know. You know this. This is original sin. This is our condition. And this is ours in Adam. This is what we are given in Adam. We are sinners by our nature, so desperately in need of a Savior. So now with that in context, let's fast forward back to our text in 1 Corinthians 15. We read again, for as by a man came death, by a man come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus Christ is our true and our better Adam. And I want us to think about this very carefully. I want us to try to make some profound connections here because Adam was created to be God's image bearer in the world that God created. We, we established that. Adam was created to rule and have dominion over creation. We've talked about that. Adam was created. He was placed in a perfect world. This was Adam. Then Adam chooses sin. Adam chooses to go against the will of God. Adam chooses to bring death to all under him. This is why Paul says, for as in Adam all die. Now consider for a moment what the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us. Christ came. The Son of God came. And scripture says that he was the true and better image of God. Colossians 1 says that Jesus was the very image of the invisible God. That was Jesus. Jesus was the true and better image bearer of God. The true and better Adam. Whereas Adam was placed in a sinless world, then sinned against God. Jesus was born into a sinful world, yet walked in sinless perfection. 
Whereas Adam brought death, brokenness, sin into the world through his sin, Jesus brought life and peace and righteousness into the world through his righteous life. That is beautiful to consider. Paul says here, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And please, church, I don't want you to read this and think that this is only a spiritual thing. And here's what I mean by this. Yes, yes, in Adam we are all spiritually dead. Um, Yes, in Christ we are all made spiritually alive. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit breathing life into our souls. That's exactly what we prayed for earlier this morning. That God brings spiritual life through his gospel. Praise God for that. But that's not all. That's not all. This is not only what Paul is talking about here. If you think about this in context, remember, Paul is talking about the resurrection, both of the body and the spirit. He is talking about the resurrection. So see, in Adam, you and I are spiritually dead, and you and I will physically die. But church, the gospel is clear that in Christ you are made spiritually alive through the resurrection of your heart in Jesus. And the gospel is also clear that you will be made physically alive through the resurrection of your body in Christ. This is the gospel. This is huge. This is huge. And I want to give you a heads up, a sneak peek. In a few weeks, we're going to learn a new song together. And it's kind of a modern hymn. And uh, it's called, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And it says it like this. I want to read verse 2. It says, Come behold the wondrous mystery. He's the perfect son of man. In his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and the better Adam. Come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. That is beautiful. Jesus Christ came and did what you and I and what Adam could not do. He came and he lived the life we couldn't. He died the death we deserved. He rose in body and spirit, giving us hope of resurrection in and through him. And that is the gospel. And this is why, church, it makes no sense. It's absolute nonsense for us to think that we can earn salvation. It's nonsense because we are sinners in Adam. We are sinners like Adam And we need a savior because the wages of that sin is death. Scripture teaches that we are spiritually dead and we will physically die. Scriptures also teach that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are made spiritually alive. And we will be made physically alive as Christ through the resurrection. This is the gospel. You and I, let me put it like this. You and I don't need to just try harder. Dead things are not good at trying harder to be less dead. Dead things need resurrection. You and I need resurrection, and that is exactly what Jesus Christ offers. And so Paul continues to drive this home, verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Um, now, I want to unpack this term first fruit because it's an agricultural term, And I'm assuming that we're not the most agricultural people in this room. You might be in suburban San Antonio, Texas, but I'm assuming we're not. 
So let me unpack this term. First fruit is this agricultural term that means the first of the harvest. The first of much more. The first of the harvest that is still to come. Church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as Paul says, was the first fruit. Meaning, it was the first of what is to come. The first of what is, in other words, the literal, physical, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from death to life was not a one-time deal. It was the first of what is to come in Jesus Christ as we in Christ will rise. Not just spiritually, but rise bodily. Jesus was the first fruit of that which is coming, the hope that we have in Jesus. So Christ is the first fruit, verse 23, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then in verse 24, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed, take this in, is death. Jesus will conquer every single enemy. Every single ruler and authority set against the kingdom of God, he will overcome. Philippians says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess and say that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no enemy who will stand. And church, including, and oh, take this in, including death itself, there's one thing that I know beyond any shadow of a doubt is that every person hearing my voice, every person hearing my voice encounters that enemy, that enemy of death. Death is our birthright in Adam. Death is the enemy that claims us all in Adam. Let's be real here. Um, no matter your diet, no matter your exercise routine, no matter the wisdom you live your life with no matter the scientific advancements of our day or the scientific advancements of tomorrow. No matter what, none of us can out-eat, out-move, or outsmart death. It claims all of us. Yet it couldn't claim him. Here in our text, Paul is so clear that our Lord Jesus Christ claims victory over death. I want you to hear me. It wasn't just his death. When Jesus Christ died and rose, died and rose from that tomb, it wasn't just the victory over his death. Because death had no claim on him in the first place, church. No, when Jesus Christ rose, he defeated death, period. And we look forward to that day when death itself is buried. We, we long for that day. That is our hope in Jesus Christ. And as we think about it, as we think about the big picture again, like I said, it all fits, right? As we think about the big picture, in so many ways, the gospel is just showing us that we're recovering Eden. That we're restoring what was lost. See, what was lost in Adam is now restored through Jesus Christ. Um, Listen to this in verse 27. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. 
But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God might may be all in all. Now that is a tongue twister. That's a, that, read that quickly, I dare you. Let's unpack this. Let's unpack this together. Um, and let's think again, think again as we unpack this of the big picture, the big picture that Paul's directing our attention to. Do you remember Genesis 1 and 2? God gave Adam and Eve, what, dominion and rule over the earth. You remember that? He said, I'm going to create them in my image, and I'm going to place things under them. And then what did they do? Well, they, they led the world away from the rule and the reign of God. That was what Adam did. So this is what we read when we read the Genesis account. Now as we contrast this, that with this verse, here's what we see. In our text, everything is put under Christ, subject to him. Everything is put un, under him. And what does he do? He then subjects himself perfectly to the will and rule of the Father. He, in other words, what Adam could not do, Christ did. Whereas Adam took everything under him and cursed it, Jesus Christ takes everything under him and submits perfectly to the will of the Father. He is the true and the better Adam. In Adam, death. In Christ, life. In Adam, sin. In Christ, righteousness. And follow this with me, church. Adam's sin was placed on you, placed in you. We know this. It's in your nature. And, and I want you to follow this with me. It's not that you and I were there in the garden. It's not that you and I grabbed that fruit that God told us not to eat and ate it. Some of you feel old, but you're not that old. None of us were there. None of us were there. But yet we know the truth of Psalm 51.5 that says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. See, we know that we are born into that sin. This is who we are. It's imputed to us from Adam. It was, we are born into that sin, and then, church, we gladly sin. This is who we are. This is the sin that was imputed to you from Adam. And I want you to follow me, follow with me, because in the same way, you and I were not there living a sinless life with Jesus. You and I were not there on that cross. You are not sinless. You were not arrested and mocked and beaten and crucified. You did not get placed in that tomb and you did not conquer death and walk out of that tomb. In other words, you did not earn this. In the same way, sin was given to you, imputed to you through Adam. Church, praise God that the gospel tells us that the righteousness of Jesus Christ was imputed to you through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, the gospel says you are all sinners through Adam, and then the gospel says you are all righteous through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Because what Christ, Christ accomplished, what Adam could not, because Christ is the true and he is the better Adam. This is why the gospel says we're all condemned to death because of sin. Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death, 
But this is also why it continues and says you're giving eternal life and resurrection through Christ as Romans continues. And it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gospel. This is our hope. Jesus is the true and the better Adam. This is the truth of Romans 5.18. Just listen to this. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience... The many will be made righteous. That is really good news, church. But after considering all of this, um, I have to ask a really simple question. So what? I mean, think about it. What now? I mean, this is all really great, like, theological stuff. But what does it mean, and how will this literally change the way you get up and walk out of this room? How will this change us? I'm, I'm really glad you asked that. Again, as I said, my, my prayer this morning was for three things, that our faith would be strengthened, our hope would be secured, and our affections would be stirred in Jesus Christ. And when we understand, when we grasp the fact that Jesus came and he died and he rose from the dead, when we grasp the fact that Jesus came and accomplished what Adam could not do, when we understand that Jesus Christ is the true and the better Adam, I just want to walk through these three things. And I want to start first with strengthens your faith in Christ. Listen, Paul is making this argument really clearly in our text and really clearly in the context of our text that either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. He either rose or he didn't. And if he didn't, as we talked about last week, then let's just go home. If he didn't, then none of this is all that meaningful, and all of this is a bit of of kind of empty motions at this point. If he didn't raise from the dead, Jesus was either a liar and deceiver of so many, so many, or he was just a really interesting lunatic. Either way, though, if he didn't, he's not worth following. He's not worth giving our lives for if he didn't raise from the dead. Paul says, let's go home. We are to be pitied. But church, since he did, since he did, I want you to hear me. Everything he said and everything he accomplished has been validated and affirmed. We are talking about an actual and literal and bodily resurrection that has been affirmed by hundreds of eyewitnesses and has stood the test of time. We are talking about a fact, a historical fact of God stepping into human history, dying a literal death and raising from the dead. Let's be clear about what we're talking about here. Church, if you ever find Your faith is wavering. If you ever wonder about your life, if you're struggling in your faith this morning, if you're here and you're struggling with doubt, I just want to plead with you to consider. Just 
for a moment, consider, reflect, meditate on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let it strengthen your faith because the object of our faith is a risen Savior. And he is sure, he is good, he is steady, he is alive, and he will not fail. If you are here and you have not yet responded to the gospel, if you are here and, and, and that's you, I want, would you consider the fact that God loves you and that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and to raise from the dead for you? And would you consider just that Jesus died for you to give you life, to offer you spiritual life today, resurrection, new person in Christ. That is ours today. Life abundantly today. And he came and he died and he rose to offer you life eternally. To offer you resurrection and eternal hope. I want you to hear me. Christ came to offer resurrection to dead things. And we are all dead in our sins. And Christ came to offer resurrection to dead things. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just continue to open your eyes and open our eyes and that you would respond to the gospel and begin to walk in that life. This is good news. If that's you and if God is working, I want, I want you to respond to Christ this morning. I want you to respond to Christ this morning. In a moment, we're going to pray together and we're going to respond together. I encourage you to respond. This text strengthens and it builds our faith. And I hope that we walk out of this place with a faith resting completely and fully on the work of Jesus Christ. That's the first. The second is that this text secures your hope in Christ. Hope, church, is the confidence that we have in the future. It's, it's what we see. It's how we can say what David said in Psalm 42.5. When, when David said, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself here. Why are you in turmoil within me? Have you been there? Then he says, hope in God. And he says, for I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. Might not look like that now, but hope in God. God, church, no matter what your life looks like right now, I want to be very honest. You might be going through some very difficult things right now. No matter your struggle, no matter the trials, your future is secure in Jesus Christ, and it is beautiful. This is our hope in all things. This is our hope. This is why when Jesus says this profound statement in John 16, when he says, I've said these things to you, right? I've said all of this to you, that in, in me you might have peace. I mean, you're going to have troubles and trials in this world, but take heart because I have overcome them. In other words, in all things, through all things, through all troubles, through all sickness that you might be in now or tomorrow, through all things, through all relationship struggles, through everything, remember that your Savior has overcome. 
He has overcome, and therefore you have hope. Our hope today is grounded in Jesus Christ because we know what he has done, and church, we know how this is going to end. It's like if we traveled to the future and and figured out who won March Madness. We know how it's going to end, so stop being nervous about your brackets. Church, we know how this is going to end. We know that Jesus is our true and our better Adam. We know that he overcame the world and he overcame death and the grave. And we know that through faith, we who are in Christ have life. Have life. We know that Jesus Christ overcame not just his death, but our death. We know this. We stand on this and we have this unshakable hope for the future. Christian hope is that regardless of our present circumstances, our hope stands. And it stands true and it stands firm again. As David says, I hope in God knowing that I will sing his praise again. This, we might not see it now, but our hope rests in Christ. Lastly, I want to I speak to this as well. This text stirs your affections for Christ. Now, um, we talked about this already in communion. We sang about this already. Um, the fact that you and I are, are naturally prone to wonder. We're naturally prone to leave the God that we love. And as Christians, I want you to hear me. We can go through seasons of life where our faith feels dry. We can walk through seasons of life when our affections for Christ, when our affections for the gospel are um, less than enthusiastic. We can go through seasons where our affections for the kingdom of God just feel dry. And, And let's, there are many of us who might be in that season right now. There might be many of us here who you're hearing this, and you might remember the time when, when the joy just filled your heart, the joy you once had when you realized that Christ died for you and it was overwhelming and it was good. Your affections were stirred, right? You can remember that. You might be able to remember the time when the simple truth of the gospel just radically wrecked your life. You might remember that. But as you sit here, as you hear this today, you feel dry. You feel that although we talked about Jesus resurrecting dead things, bringing them to life, you relate more to the dead than the living right now. And if we're honest and as we reflect, that might be you. And I want you to hear me. God is not done with you. He's not through with you. I am, in fact, I want you to know you're not alone I have found in my life and in the life of brothers and sisters who walk beside me in this life, I have counseled so many and found that, that we who have been made alive, sometimes, sometimes often, can kind of fall back into a little bit of a comatose state. We can kind of fall back and, and, and feel dry. Have you 
been there? Have you been there? And, and hear me, it's not that we need in these moments new and novel ideas. It's not that, okay, we need something new. We need something fresh. That is not, it's not that you have failed. It's not that you're no longer a child of God. That's not it. What, it, what you need is your affections to be stirred for Jesus in a fresh way. We need our hearts to be kind of woken up through the simple proclamation and understanding of the gospel. And I want you to, to understand this is not a sign of immaturity. This is not a sign that like, when we follow Jesus for a long time, we stop having dry seasons. No, I have found it's the opposite. I have found that as we follow Jesus, the more mature we are in Jesus Christ, the more we continually realize our need to bring ourselves back, to wake ourselves up to the gospel again. The more mature among us in Christ realize more often than us who aren't that there is a need to come back when our hearts get dry. The mature in us realize that seasons of dryness are coming and when they do, I will run back. I will run back to the gospel and have my heart awoken and stirred and freshly woken up. And so again, here's my prayer. I pray that as we leave this place, we have left encountering the truth of the gospel. And I pray that you, your, your faith has been strengthened. Whatever you're walking through right now, that your faith has been strengthened as you get up and walk out to face your week. I pray that as you get up and as you walk out of this place, that your hope has just been secured beyond any present circumstance that you're facing. Some of us, that's exactly what we need to hear. And I hope that for all of us, your affection for Jesus Christ has been stirred. That as we get up, and we walk out. We might leave looking the same and wearing the same clothes, but there has been a resurrection that's taken place in our heart. Our affections have been stirred, and what was comatose is now alive. This is my prayer. And as a church, as a people, there is nothing that we need more than this. There is nothing on earth that we need right now more than this. No matter how old we are, how young we are, no matter who we are, this is what we need. So would you, for a moment, would you just bow your heads with me? I'd like to have a time of response and prayer. I believe God is fulfilling his promise this morning. A promise that he made to Ezekiel, to transform hearts, to take wandering hearts, hearts of stone, rebellious and sinful hearts, to take our dead hearts and to resurrect them, and as it says, to breathe life. And I want to just give us a moment here before we rush out and life begins again. 
I want to just give us a moment to respond to what God is doing. For anyone here who does not know what that life feels like, for everyone here who feels dry and who feels dead, for anyone here who would like to respond to Jesus Christ this morning, we know that Jesus came to offer life to dead things. We know that Jesus Christ offers life and resurrection and hope. And if you're here and you'd like to respond to the gospel this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me. And as I pray, there is absolutely no magic formula or magic wording here. This is simply the invitation to express yourself to God and to respond to him as I pray. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for showing us our great need for you. Lord, we are all dead, dead in our sins. We are dead in Adam, yet you demonstrated your great love for us while we were dead in our sins. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to do what Adam could not do. You sent Jesus so that all who believe in him would not perish but have life and life eternally. So God, we confess our sin to you. We confess our great need for you. And we thank you that you have given us a new heart and that you have made us new in you. And Lord, we ask that you teach us how to walk in this newness of life through your power, for your glory, and in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.